Father God, we are not worthy to speak for you. So, Lord, we yield ourselves, and we pray that you would speak through us, Lord God, that we would not use our own words, but that, Father God, even in this time as I sit here, that it would be you speaking through me, Lord God. I I yield myself to you. I pray for every listener, Lord, that they would humble themselves and allow themselves to hear your voice, that they would also remove themselves, Lord God, and allow your spirit to teach them, to guide them, even in this time. May what you have prepared be refreshing to them, a word that allows them to be empowered to do what you've called them to do. As always, Lord God, we pray these things in Jesus' name, the name that is above every name, the name that you have given unto us so that we no longer have to be bound in sin, but that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the gift of your Son giving his life on our behalf, we can be made holy in your presence. Oh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. As Pastor Andy said uh, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about something that uh, is titled, What Did God Say? And I was reminded as I was preparing this and thinking about this, uh, I had this joke I was going to say, but I said, no, let's go with reality. And reality is, when I was a kid coming up, uh, I would sometimes ask my mom if I could do something or if I could have something, and she would tell me no. And so, because I was way smarter than my mom, I would go ask my dad. And my dad was smarter than I thought he was, because his question to me would be, what did your mom say? And of course, once I did that, now I've opened up a whole other can, because now uh, I've disobeyed my mom. She told me no, no is no, so you don't go do another thing. So I as I was thinking about this, thought about, you know, in our lives, what did God say? If you find in your life when you're praying and when you're out now doing what you know God has called you to do, when you find yourself rationalizing, you need to hurry up and, and get back to this point. What did God say? If you're rationalizing, I, I, I want to say all the time, but I'll leave a little space for, for the argue, arguers in the room and online, 99% of the time when you're rationalizing, you're wrong when it comes to dealing with God. Because God, he tells you what he wants you to do, and then he expects you to go do that. And so when you start rationalizing, uh, that's when you're trying to go, well, I know God told me that I need to go help those people, but they don't look like they need help. And that isn't what God said. So, so this is what I want to talk about today, focusing in on what did God say and then what can happen when we don't follow through with that. I love something Pastor Andy said a few weeks ago. He said, you know, your relationship with God, you know, loving God, he said it's not a side hustle. He said it's the most important thing. It's the center of what you do. And so I'm reminded of what Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, you know, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And I think a lot of times we do that. We think we're smarter than God. And a, and a large uh, part of the time is because we don't see God. 
We don't interact with God. So we think what we're seeing and what we're doing is enough. And that isn't the case. You know, Paul tells us, you know, what we see, well, that's temporary. And what we don't see, that's permanent. And so we have to get to a place where what did God say means something to us. And so I'm going to jump right into the Old Testament. And I'm going to take us to probably the most famous what did God say moment in the Bible. And that is Adam and Eve. We we talk about the story of Adam and Eve and we kind of go in and out. But let's jump in. And let's go right into what God said when he created man and set him in the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis 2, uh, starting at verse 16, uh, this is what God commanded Adam. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That's very straightforward. Everything you see, Adam, you, you, you can eat from anything you see, except you may not eat, you must not eat from the tree of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. Because at that point, you will die. That's straightforward. So all Adam has to do is live his life and focus on all the things that he can do, all the things that he can eat. In fact, Adam could live his entire life and never put his eyes on that tree again, and he would be fine. Can we agree with that? Maybe you at home, can you agree with that? That's all Adam has to do. But... The Bible goes on to tell us in chapter 3, just a little bit further over, uh, and I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and at this point God has created Eve, so now you have Adam and Eve. And so he said to the woman, this is the serpent, Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let's pause right there. Isn't that how the enemy works? And this is how we work on ourselves. Watch this. God commanded, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And before he said that, he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And the enemy comes along and says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So now he's starting to distract. So what's the focus now? Oh, no, we can eat. We can eat. We're we're allowed to eat. What What does Eve say? She says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, maybe I'm being too literal, but I didn't read where God said, don't touch it. He did say, don't eat it. But but what, what we do is we start adding. And maybe Eve is adding. And I began to wonder as I was preparing this, I wonder if 
Eve, even in the moment when she's responding to the serpent, no, we can eat from whatever. We just can't eat from the tree in the middle uh, or, or even touch it. Is she beginning to rationalize? I don't know. I'm not saying that that's a fact. I'm just saying I wonder that because she's taken what God said and she's changed it a little bit. And so the serpent comes along and says, you will not certainly die. You're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so this is where the enemy has now slipped in and he has started to get Eve to, to think about things in her own mind, in her own strength. But all they had to do, Adam and Eve, because we read on uh, when she eats of the apple, she says she gave some, gave some to her husband or to the man who was with her. So, so there's no reason for us to think that he wasn't there even during this, this discourse. But the point of it is, what did God say? Don't eat from this tree. That was it. You could eat anything you wanted. And all Eve had to do was remember that and walk away. There was no power there. The serpent had no power to make Eve do what God said not to do. And in your life, the enemy has no power to make you do what God said not to do. You have that power. Let that marinate. You have that power. Anytime that you do something that you're not supposed to do, that's on you because you have the power to say no. Now, if, if, if somebody pushes you off of something or pushes you down, well, that's a different thing. No, I didn't want to fall, but somebody used their power to do that. We're talking about you making a decision. And so this is what, this is what Eve has done. And this is what we do when God tells us to do something. We forget that we have the power to say no. And so what was the consequence? They were banished from Eden. The man got his comeuppance. The woman got her comeuppance. And the serpent got his comeuppance. In other words, when they didn't do what God told them to do, there was a consequence. And they paid it. And that's what we have to remember. When we don't do what God says to do, there's a consequence. Most of us sit around and we think of God the Father as God the grandfather. Oh, well, let me see what I got in my pocket for, for the babies today. You know, oh, maybe grandpa's got some candy for the kids today. No, 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 no. God is not the grandfather. He is the father. He is the one who disciplines us or chastises us. He is the one, when we do wrong, there is a consequence to pay. And Adam and Eve paid that consequence. And I don't want to go down that path because the focus of what we're talking about is what did God say? So you answer that question. Then the next question is, did you do it? And if the answer is no, then you have to accept that consequence. I want you, if you have, uh, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this question down. And it is not for 
you to answer right now. We're not going to answer this question right now. But I want you to go and I want you to ponder this question. Uh, that Me saying all that is just a pause for the people at home to scramble and go to the next room and, and get something to write with. You got, you got some paper? I'll be ready. Did he say it yet? All right, here's the question. What are my expectations when I do not do what God has told me to do? Let me read that question again. What are my expectations when I do not do what God has told me to do? And I'm not going to give examples, uh, but just to break that down, God tells me to do something. I don't do it. What do I think is going to happen? That's, that's what the question is. And I want you to ponder that. Write it down. And look at your answer. And then take your answer and go into the Bible. And see, let's see what happens. Because remember, God will not be mocked. You can't just do what you want and turn to God and say, oh, bless that God. You know, I did what I wanted to do. Now you need to bless it. And there was a gentleman who learned this the very hard way. In the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to go over there and we'll be in chapter 15. Leading up to what we're about to talk about, the people of Israel had, uh, after Joshua died, God gave them judges. And so these were not, these were not kings. These were not people ruling over them. These were people who were just, you know, on behalf of the Lord, taking care of the people of Israel. And the Israelites, because they had started, you know, inter, intermixing and being with other nations who had gods and kings, they wanted a king. We, we want a king. And instead of allowing God to be their king, they kept moaning and crying and complaining, we want a king. So uh, God says, okay. I'm going to give him a king. And so he has Samuel anoint this man, Saul. And Saul was, you know, he stood a foot taller than, you know, all the other men. And he just, he just had this look. But Saul was a, can I use this word in church? He was a scaredy cat. Uh, Saul was not, you know, that man that was ready to go. He was ready to hide in most cases. But nevertheless, God has Samuel anoint Saul as king. And right away, we see Saul kind of, you know, making mistakes. You know, he's, he's, he's waiting for Samuel to come in this one moment uh, in, in 1 Samuel. And he, the people are starting to leave, and they're starting to do their own thing. So he, he uh, does this offering. He, we waited seven days, and Samuel's not here. Let's do the offering. And, of course, as soon as he makes a mistake, Samuel shows up. So we have that backdrop. You know, he's already messed up, so to speak. Have that in the backdrop. And here we go over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And Samuel is talking to King Saul. And he says, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. In other words, Saul is about to get what did God say. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. In other words, Samuel has given Saul specific instructions. Go up and destroy all of the Amalekites. Don't leave anything alive. Those are the instructions that Samuel gave from God. But what did Saul do? Saul makes a decision. Well, you know, let's spare the king. Let's spare kind of the, the good sheep, the good cattle. We'll say that we're going to give that as an offering for God. You know, remember that word I started off saying today? You see Saul rationalizing what God said. And the reality is, once you start rationalizing, you're in trouble. And so we skip down to verse 9 in this same 1 Samuel 15. It says, But Saul and the army spared Agag, who was the king, uh, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lamb, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So Saul has made a decision on his own to save some of the, some of the, the things that were there. God said destroy it all, but Saul decides maybe he, he knows better than God. Maybe God didn't realize how good some of this stuff was going to be. So, so he, he saves it, he spares it, but what we have now is disobedience. Saul is in disobedience to what God had called him to do. But he decides instead of, instead of just being like what David's going to be down the road, he's going to double down. I love this. Skipping over to verse 13 through 15. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Can you, can you picture him just patting himself on the back? And one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I think I put this story in here because I really wanted to read this part. I love, I love Samuel's response. He says, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? In other words, Saul is saying, we, we did what the Lord said. We destroyed everything. It's like Samuel saying, what do you think, I'm deaf? I'm blind? You don't think I can hear those cattle? You don't think I can hear that sheep? I know you didn't destroy everything. Why would you come to me and the first words out of your mouth be a lie? He doesn't say that, but, but that's the feeling that I get. You know, I love that. What is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? You don't get to say the word bleeding enough. And so, and so I, that, that's part of the reason why I really wanted to bring this in. So then Saul, I love this part, because Saul takes a page out of Adam's book. Watch this. So uh, this is Saul's response to Samuel. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. 
<laughs> no, I didn't have anything to do with this. I don't even know how they got there. Right. He says, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. This, this is rationalizing what God has said. So God said, destroy it all. But, 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 but look how good that is. Surely you didn't mean all God. And as a result of this disobedience, what happens to Saul? Huh? He, he lost his kingship. God strips him of his kingship. Listen to me. When you don't do what God said, you're not going to sit back and, and just, oh, it's no big deal. It's, it's just God. No, 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 no. God will not be mocked. If God tells you to do something, you need to do that. And if you don't know what God wants you to do, stop moving until you do. Because God is the God where he says, I tried to tell you you didn't want to listen. You're still responsible for that. When God looks you in the face and tells you destroy everything, you need to destroy everything. And this is what Saul did not do. And his disobedience cost him his kingship. And as you read the story of Saul, Saul was really tormented, you know, even almost from that point on. He doesn't really have a good reign. And it's in large part because he never trusted God. Now, in all fairness, was Saul really the, the right person to be king? No. What do you mean, no? Who was the, this is a trick question. Who was the right person to be king of Israel? You better say it loud. God! They had a king. They had God. They didn't need someone to go and fight, you know, lead them into battle. They had God to lead them into battle. And he had done so much. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, y'all almost pulled me away from the message. I was just about to go away from the message. But understand, they had a king. God, God can do so much more than we can do. He can do things that we can't even imagine. Right? But, but so Saul makes that mistake. And sometimes we make that mistake. We do, we do sort of what God said, but we didn't do what he said. So here's question number two. What has God told me to do? This, you're writing this down for yourself. What has God told me to do, but I believe I know what is better? What has God told me to do, but I believe I know what is better? Which is to say, you're doing your own thing. I know, God, God I know you told me to do, to, to do this, but I, I got this. And you know, we, we actually... We may not say those exact words, but we live our life like that. And so that's question number two. And again, these questions, I want you guys to ponder them later as you go into your word, as we get our walk away from this message. I want you to go back into these questions, and I want you to ask if these are tough. You know, these are the kind of questions that we want other people to have to answer. But we don't, we don't ever want us. I don't want to have to answer that question. He meant you. You write it down.
And so let's go into our final kind of story for today, and it's found in the book of Joshua. It is one of my favorite passages when it comes to helping people understand who God is and how God is. So we're familiar with Joshua leading the Israelites around Jericho, and he For seven days, he walks one time around, and rather than on the seventh day, he walks seven times around, and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. We're familiar with that, right? Well, leading up to the the walls falling down, Joshua gives the Israelites some very specific instructions. And if you turn with me into the book of Joshua, We're going to be at chapter 6, and I'm going to start us at verse 15. So they've they've already walked around, and, and, you know, they're getting ready to, they're getting ready for on this day for the walls to come tumbling down. And so on Joshua 6, starting at verse 15, it says, On the seventh day they got up at daybreak, they are the Israelites, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times, in the same manner that they had done one time, one time around and then uh, went back to camp. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. All right? The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army. Watch this. Shout, he says, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted That means for God, uh, to the Lord, all right? Uh, Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Remember when they sent the spies up and uh, they had to get out of the town and Rahab said, remember us. And so they said, hey, wherever this scarlet rope or this, uh, uh, what was that? What was that called? This? whatever she had let them down with, as long as you, you know, anybody in this place, you know, they would not be killed. And so this is why he's saying uh, only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Said, but watch this, watch this. Verse 18 is critical. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Let me read that small part again. He said, but keep away from the devoted things. Those devoted things are kind of, uh, kind of an irrevoc- irrevocable, you know, there, there wasn't, you, you, this was God's, and you don't, you don't touch God's stuff. And so it was set apart. The priests were going to come in and, and deal with that, not the people. And so it says, uh, so that you will not bring your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All right, so that's pretty simple. When the walls come down, you know, you, you just shout, we'll take care of everything else. All right, we're going to come up, we're going to take the land, but you don't even have to dis- deal with the devoted things. Think about that. You don't have to touch it. You don't even got to deal with it. Don't even worry about it. 
It's not your business. How many of y'all know there's always that one person that's got to touch it? That's got to, there's always that one. And this one uh, is a man named Achan. And so even though God tells the Israelites through Joshua, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is what I want, you know, the what did God say? He said, leave everything. We don't have to tell. We're just going to shout. We're going to do what he said to do. Shout. The walls will come down, and uh, we'll destroy, you know, the Israelites, but, but we're not going to touch the, or the, the, the people in Jericho, but we're not going to touch the devoted thing. But Achan decides that he's going to do that. So if you look in chapter 7, verse 1, and we'll skip kind of a little bit through chapter 7. It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. I want you guys to grab that. We're about to read about one person. We're about to read about one person. But the Bible says, but the Israelites... The group were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. That's important. Achan is the person who took some of the devoted things. But God was angry with Israel. And so as time goes by, they, they come to this land called Ai, Ai and uh, they're supposed to go up. And they realize, hey, it's not very big. We only need to send about 3,000 soldiers. And so that's what they do. They send 3,000 soldiers and they get routed. 36 men die. And they don't understand what happened. How could this be? We've had all these great victories and we couldn't beat this small. And so when they fall down before the Lord, God tells them, you haven't been faithful. You did what I told you not to do. And so they go through the camp, and they, you know, God tells them, you know, they, they, what they need to do. They go through, and they land on Aachen, right? And so they land on Aachen, and it's understood, Aachen, you have made this mistake. But I want you guys to get this. This is so critical to everything. When, God, when Joshua stands in front of Achan, he says, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. I'm in verse 19, chapter 7, verse 19. Joshua chapter 7, verse 19. He says, Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. In other words, the, it, the lot has fallen to Achan, and we know that you're the one who's done something. I want you to watch this. Achan says, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from the Babylonia, from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. Now, this is the part that always gets me. So he took it, right? They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. In other words, He's, he's taken this, and then he hid it. So it's not even something where he says, you know, oh, I could use that. No, oh, I could use that. Yeah. He, all he's done is sinned, and then he's tried to cover that sin up. And so they go, and they see that, yeah, this is what happened. 
And so watch this. Verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the silver, the robe, the gold bar. Now that's the stuff he took, right? Okay, that makes sense. But it doesn't stop there. His sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, sheep, his tent, everything that he had, they took him to the valley of Achor. And when they were there, Joshua says, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, in other words, all the people, they burned them. Let that marinate. Who sinned? Who did what God said don't do? That's it. One person. And all of his family, his, his cattle, his donkey, everything, everything was stoned to death. One person sinned. So here's question number three. And I, and I pray that this convicts you right in your heart. I'm going to tell you a quick story after this question. Who has suffered because I did not do what God said to do? Who has suffered because I did not do what God said to do? You see, when we're dealing with God, God is allowed to do whatever he wants for the consequences. We don't have a choice in that. I had a friend of mine one time. I was in Korea, and he was a company commander, and I would talk to him quite frequently, you know, just kind of, you know, take him under my wing a little bit. I had done, had kind of been there, done that. And so uh, we would sit and talk. And one day, he and I were talking, and I don't remember the course of the conversation or the nature of it, but he started talking about something he had done that weekend. And he said, he said, I, you know, I, I, I know it was wrong. I know I was sinning. But I just said, well, God, you know, you, just, you, you can just punish me. And when he said that, I, I looked at him and I said, don't ever say that. I said, you don't even know what you're talking about. And he looked at me funny. And I said, when God punishes, you may never feel it. The punishment may hit somebody else. You know, don't ever, don't ever mock God and just say, well, hey, God punish me, because God can do whatever he wants, and he doesn't always just punish you. You know, when you look at when David slept with Bathsheba, Uriah died. The baby that was, was conceived in their sin died, but David didn't die. You, you don't go around doing wrong thinking, well, I could take it. I got strong shoulders. Who cares if you got strong shoulders? What about the other people who didn't do anything wrong? That's where, that's where we have to be thinking. That's why we have to do what God said to do. Because you don't know what the consequences are. What's that saying? Uh, I can choose my sin, but I can't choose my consequences. You know, that's the reality. That's why it's important to do what God said. Because when you don't, other people pay. And that is not fair. So, so how are we going to deal with this? How can I know what to do? How do I know what God said? Step number 
one is the Bible. This is God's Word. You get in God's Word and you begin reading God's Word. But you also have to know God. There are plenty of people who know this Bible. Man, they know that Bible. They quote it. They can tell you where things are in that Bible, but they don't a bit more know God. They don't know Christ. They don't understand the power that's in God's Word and, and what He has for us. They don't understand it. They have that head knowledge. They can quote it, but they don't understand it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting in here and opening up your heart and allowing the Spirit of the Lord to come in and talk to you. Because it's like this. We think because we say, Lord, Lord, that, that we know him and he knows us. But remember in Matthew 7, when God says, when, when, the, when Jesus is kind of closing the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you know, some of you will come and say, you know, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And, and didn't we do these things in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Because watch this. If you don't know God, if God doesn't know you, we know that God knows everybody, but you understand we're talking about from a, a spiritual relationship. You, you can't sit around and expect him to just be talking to you because you're not ready. You can't understand it. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't understand it. I've got some friends uh, who are football coaches. And... They're very knowledgeable. Jeff Beckles and Mark Elders, two good friends of mine. They're very knowledgeable in football. And they can answer any question you have about football. But let me ask you this question. Of those of you sitting in the room and those of you who are at home, should you be expecting Mark and Jeff to call you today to answer some of your football questions? Why not? We don't know you. They don't know you. They're very knowledgeable, but they don't know you. They're not just going to call you out of nowhere. And, and we want to say, well, well, God is God. and He created me. He should be talking to me. God wants to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen to me. God wants to talk to you, but you ain't got no cell service. Because without the Holy Spirit... He, he, he can't get what he's trying to say to you. Yeah, he wants to talk to you. But even if he doesn't speak to you, this is where you're going to get all bent out of shape. Because even if he doesn't say something to you, you're still responsible to do what he said. How's that fair? How's that fair? He's God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's God. So what we need to do is open that door. Behold, Jesus Christ said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. If they, if they let me in, I will come in and I will sup with them. I am my father. He's not hiding. God's not hiding from you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He has what he has said. He has what he has said. He knows what he said to you. And he's ready to say it to you and help you, and walk you through it. Let me, let me kind of quasi, this is my penultimate closing. I also like using that word. God is not trying to 
hide from you. He wants to get his word to you, right? So when, 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 when you come to God, when you are, are trying to figure this thing out, just reach out to God and say, Lord, give me the spirit. Why? Because watch this. Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, went into the wilderness, right? Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, allowed himself to go to the cross, right? Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, goes into Damascus. Ananias, led by the Holy Spirit, goes, lays hands on Paul, and the scales fall off, the blindness goes away. These are all led by the Holy Spirit. So that must mean that having the Spirit of the Lord is important. That's your, let me use that again, that's your cell service. If you don't have it, there's the, the, those of you who are online, you know, click on that, that prayer chat. Click on that. How can I get that? What, what, I don't understand it. Help me understand. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're like a flashlight without a battery. And that's important. You want to understand this word, you have to have the Spirit of the Lord dwelling in you. No man knows the thoughts of another man. You can't know God. Only God knows God. But He puts His Spirit in us so that we can know. All right. So now, in closing, <laughs> uh, I want to remind you of the three questions. You know, I'm a teacher, and they push back kids going to school, so I needed to have people to give some homework to. Congratulations, you're them. So, so here are the three questions. Number one, what are my expectations when I do not do what God has told me to do? What are my expectations when I do not do what God has told me to do? That's question number one. Question number two, what has God told me to do, but I believe I know what is better. And then number three, what, excuse me, correction, who has suffered because I did not do what God said to do? So those are three questions. I encourage you to meditate on those questions. It's so easy when these sermons are over, it's so easy to go, oh, oh boy, you preached it today. What a good message today. And then within an hour, you're on to the next thing. That happens. I know that happens. I'm not stupid. You know, I'm no Dave Baker. I know they're not holding on to my sermons. <laughs> so, so he's laughing under that mask. <laughs> so, so I encourage you, ponder those questions. And then come back next week or tune in next week. Because we're going to do the second part of what did God say. And we're going to focus on what you guys call I call it too, but it sounded better when I said what you guys call the Great Commission. So don't forget, do what God says. And before you can know that, you have to get into his word. If you join me right where you are in prayer. Father, thank you so much, Lord God, for today. 
We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, people will understand it's important to do what you said. In fact, if we don't do what anybody else on earth says, we need to do what you say. We thank you, Father, for this day and this time. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.